Have you ever seen a house being built? It's incredible, really. All of the materials, all of the trades, the coordination and hard work all come together to make a home. You can see them gathering in the morning. One truck after another pulls up behind the other. A single craftsman, a few together, some young, some old, get out and prepare to work. For them, the initial preparation is just showing up. No tools or equipment needed. It'll all be provided. They gather together near the foreman's tent. The foreman stands there and warmly greets each one by name. It makes sense that he knows them as he recruited each one of them personally. There's no favoritism here. He greets each of his craftsmen with enthusiasm. The closer the workers move in, the more they are captured by him. He is strong but not threatening. He is tall, but he does not tower over anyone. His presence demands attention, and for the most, they are eager to give it. Everyone shows up somewhat distracted, some more than others, but no matter. The foreman receives them all. He may, however, need to get their attention, and he will. The foreman begins to explain the day's plans. They are to continue work on an incredible house, a mansion. It looks like a lot of work has already been done, and yet it seems as though there is plenty to accomplish today. The foreman lays out his unique blueprint, a perfectly constructed plan that has weathered time, trials, and human error. This blueprint has served as a guide since the beginning, and yet it serves them today just the same. It's never outdated. It gives them exactly what they need. A perfect blueprint, a strong foreman, and some ready workers. It's time to get to work. To one he hands a hammer, to another he hands nails, to one he hands pipes, to another he hands wires, to one he hands wood, to another he hands a saw, to one he hands measuring tape, to another he hands bandages and dressing. No one is left empty-handed. Each is able to carry what they are given, though they will learn to use their tools better over time. The workers marvel at the incredible fit everyone seems to have. The hammer fits so perfectly in the worker's hands, his muscles will grow, but there is no doubt it was made just for him. The grips and even the weight seems custom made. There's no need to try to use someone else's tools or even compare. You see, some think the carpenter is more important than the electrician. Others believe the plumber more important than the mason. Some think the work to provide meals and water or to clean up after others is beneath them. Some think the tools that make the loudest noise are best. All of that is nonsense. But the foreman points everyone back to the blueprint and to the work already done by himself and others. Each is given exactly what the foreman wanted them to have for that day. Besides, there seems to be no sense to it. Some who seem weak are given very powerful tools, more powerful than they ever imagined they could wield or even deserve. Those who seem strong are given less than what they or others expected they could carry. Words like weak, strong, ready, equipped, skilled, they all seem to be redefined by the foreman. No one is left out. Expectations, norms, and molds are all broken here, but all is well. This is no ordinary job site, and this is no ordinary foreman. The work begins. Let us pray, church. God, I thank you for who you are, that you are a God of more, that you are a God of, of better, you are a God of greater, and that is what you want for us today, God, I pray that you would have your way in this time. I thank you that you're already moving in this place. Your presence is thick in here today. God, I thank you that you want to move right now, that you want to take us to more, from glory to glory. And so, God, we just surrender to you. God, we don't have much to offer, but what we have, we lay down at your feet willingly, gladly, expecting you to do far greater with it than we could ever do ourselves. Jesus, we ask for you to show up and show off, flex your muscles, and get all the credit. We love you. And all his people said, amen. And good morning, church. How are we doing? Good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. What I just shared with you uh, is titled, A Blueprint to Build. Uh, a dear friend of mine actually wrote this uh, in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he shared it with me, and it literally blew my mind, and I felt like I needed to share it with you, because, man, that is where we are. That is the kingdom. Do you see it? That is the kingdom of God. We have an incredible foreman. We're just workers. <laughs> I hesitate to say skilled workers. <laughs> we are just workers. We show up, and he gives us the tools. Do you see that Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail against it? That is where we are, and I love this beautiful analogy of a work site. 
that, that he is the foreman. We are the workers. We just show up, and he gives us all of the tools. And so last week, we kicked off this series where we talked about spiritual gifts, and Jeff did a phenomenal job talking about this idea that we are all wired and made for impact, and that each one of us have a role to play. And so today, I just want to continue in that energy that we had last week of, of unpacking more the tools that God is giving us as workers to accomplish the will of the foreman. So if you have your Bibles, once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be. But before we get there, I want to kind of give the sermon in a sentence. So if you check it at any point in time, you, you can remember this is the essence of what we're trying to talk about this morning. God gives us spiritual gifts to empower us to bring, build, and send. We are, we are called by God as Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury to bring them in, build them up, send them out by his grace for his glory. That is the mission that God has given us. And the tools he's given us to do that is spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about throughout this whole series, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but we're going to kind of define better what spiritual gifts are and kind of the purpose of them. Think about the message today kind of in two parts, the purpose and the practice. We're going to talk about the purpose and practice of spiritual gifts. But Man, spiritual gifts are given by God to us to empower us to bring people into his kingdom, not into this building, but into his kingdom, that we would be built up into the beautiful body, the bride of Jesus Christ, so that we can be sent out to see more being brought in and built up and sent out. It continues. It's beautiful, all by God's grace. It's impossible in of ourselves, and it's all for his glory. So let's dive in. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Let's pause for a moment. Paul is writing this letter, and, and he is writing to the Corinthian church. And, man, I love Paul, and I love Jesus because they, they want clarity. See, here's the thing. We live in a world that says, like, we're, you know, all these different religions can do this, and this way is that way, and God is this way and that way. Paul and Jesus, like, Jesus is so good, he wants you to have clarity. Do you see that? Like, he wants you to have vision and clarity for your life. He wants to give you vision and purpose. And so, God is using Paul to say, hey, in the area of spiritual gifts that can be kind of murky or seem a little weird or kind of can be foggy at times, I'm here to give you clarity. Like, that's amazing. Like, we can just celebrate. We could kind of end now just knowing that that's the heart of our God, that he wants us to have clarity. He is that good. He's always leading us in that place. But the goal of this is that we would become informed in spiritual gifts. And so what we see in chapters 12, 13, and 14 specifically is Paul really addressing this issue of spiritual gifts. And Unfortunately, we only have time to really scratch the surface this morning, but we're going to dive in at least to chapter 12 so we can become informed. You know that when you were pagans, which is basically anyone who wasn't Jewish, you were led astray to mute idols. Some translations even say dumb idols. I love that. We're going to go back there in a moment. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Here's the first thing we need to know about spiritual gifts this morning. They always point to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Always point to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now, I love that, that Paul is really kind of, he's going after the pagan idols. He says, you used to turn to these, these mute pagan idols. Some translations literally say dumb idols. What, what is Paul trying to communicate there? Well, he's trying to say that they're not enough. He's trying to say, hey, when, you know, the, the idols may speak to you when, when you want them to, but when you need them to, I mean, they go silent. They go dumb on you for a moment. They, they really don't, they, they overpromise something, but they can't ever deliver on it. And what Paul is trying to communicate is, hey, when those idols are silent, that's when our God speaks. That's when our God shows up. And even in the midst of what seems like silence, God screams and shouts in his whispers. Paul's trying to help us see that, man, that Jesus is better. It's that simple. When, when all these idols failed you, you had a God who came after you who spoke to you tenderly in the wilderness and wooed you back to him. I love it. He says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can ever say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is the goal of spiritual gifts. It's to, to point to the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is supreme, that he is better, that he is greater, that he is far more than anything this world could offer. I want us to understand this this morning, that when we operate in the spirit of God, we will always be declaring Jesus is Lord. When we're operating in the spirit of God, that is our proclamation that Jesus is Lord. And so this brings a clear def definition of whether or not we're operating in the gifts or not. Because he, he says here, if you're not operating in Holy Spirit, you can't claim Jesus is Lord. 
And if you're claiming that he's a curse, then no one in the Holy Spirit can do that. He's trying to be in clarity. This is kind of the defining moment of really, is this the spiritual gift? You can answer that. Is it pointing to the supremacy of Jesus Christ? Here's what that means. The Spirit's delight is to elevate Jesus so that he is seen as the king of the universe that he is. Did you know that that's the job of the Holy Spirit? That's what he loves to do. That's like his hobby, his pastime, is to elevate the person of Jesus, to make him look awesome because that's how he is. So it's really just to, to elevate Jesus and say, hey, check him out. Look at him. He's great. He's wonderful. He's mighty. That is the job of Holy Spirit, and he loves to do it. And that's what we get to do when we're operating in our spiritual gifts. We get to join Holy Spirit in elevating the person of Jesus. But it's important that we understand what we're saying Jesus is. We're not just proclaiming he's a good guy. We're not just proclaiming he's our friend. We're not just proclaiming that he's an option. And we're, listen carefully, not just proclaiming that he's even just the savior. Which, by the way, all of those are true things. But it's something bigger than that. You see, when we are operating in the power of Holy Spirit, we are proclaiming that he is the death-conquering, devil-crushing boss of the universe, a.k.a. the Lord of the universe, who is worthy of all of our praise. And that's what it looks like. And I don't know about you, but hairs stand up on my neck when I see Jesus that way. You know what that means? That means there's no room for half-hearted Christianity when we really see Jesus for who he is. Because when you see Jesus as the the death-conquering, devil-crushing king of the universe... The only response is obsession. That's how you know the spirit is at work is it points to the supremacy of Jesus or the gifts in your life doing that. Are you using the gifts that God has given you, the spiritual gifts to to point people to the supremacy of Jesus that he is really better? Better than what? Better, period. It's the full sentence. Put anything after it and it's still true. He is better than your opinion. He's better than... Your, your background, your traditions, he's better than what the world has to throw out you. He is better. Holy Spirit, give us your presence that we can point to the supremacy of Jesus Christ above all things. Verse four. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirits. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Man, there's so much in this chapter. I love it. Next thing we need to understand is that spiritual gifts always reflect the personality of God. Always. Spiritual gifts always reflect the personality of God. We could have kind of kind of brushed over that a few sentences there and kind of missed some richness that's there. See, what he's saying is it's the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. He is actually giving a wink at what we as Christians believe to be called the Trinity. The Trinity is one God that exists in, in three persons. If you understand it, you don't understand it. So we, as as Bible-believing Christians, believe that God is one God. He's not three gods. He's one God who, who manifests himself, shows himself in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in this text, we see Paul referring to God as all three. That's what Holy Spirit does. He illuminates the fullness, the robustness of his personality. I love this. When spiritual gifts are exercised properly, it gives us insight into how God operates within himself. I'll say it again. Spiritual gifts, when exercised properly, give us insight to how God operates within himself. It's a mystery. So literally, the closer you get to God into understanding him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the more your mind should be blown. That's the point. It's a beautiful undone, though. It's a dependent undone, though. And here's how they operate. They love one another deeply. And what you notice about God in the Trinity is that he's always pointing to one of his other persons. Jesus isn't saying, hey, check me out, bro. I'm awesome. No, he's saying, the Father sent me. I'm here to do his will. And I can only do that by the power of Holy Spirit. And Spirit says, well, yeah, because the Father's awesome. And and the Son, he's got a job to do, and I'm here to help. And the Father's like, man, I I got this Son that I'm going to send who's going to rescue the universe. I mean, I'm going to send my spirit to make this thing happen, to see that, that son of mine get resurrected out of the grave. See, see, what the Trinity does is he's constantly pointing to himself. No, it's not about me. It's about them. No, no, it's really not about me. And so it's just this kind of going back and forth of them bragging on each other. That's how the spirit works. Man, that sounds like the way the church should work, too. We'll get there, though. Spiritual gifts give us unique access into the mystery of God and his personality, And don't miss this this morning. That is the gift. 
Yes, God desires to, to manifest himself in us uniquely and specifically through spiritual gifts, but hear me say this, the gift is God. He is the greatest gift giver the world could ever know, but yet he is the greatest gift the world could ever know. That is the point. It's really not about the gifts. Do you see that? The gifts are really a means to an end. That end is connection. That end is connection with the God of the universe. It's the beauty of it, that we get to be connected with this incredible God who manifests himself in three persons. So here's the question. Do we talk to all three? Like, I'll be honest, there's times in my life where I've just been the Jesus guy. In other words, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The Father and the Spirit are great, but it's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that seems noble, and that seems fair, and seems good, but what I found in my own life is I was missing out on a third of God. I was missing out on parts of God that are intricate in our discipleship and understanding who he is. How do you talk to God? Can I just tell you that he would love for you to address him in all three persons? And there's not a formula to that. There's not like a religious kind of thing. You have to meet the quota, a third, third, and a third. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that, man, when I began to pray to God and ask for Holy Spirit to reveal himself to me, stuff started to change. And you know what it did? It made Jesus look even better. And man, when I began to understand that God as Father has a heart for me like no other, man, it made me appreciate the Son and the Spirit so much more. So when we actually address God in his fullness, man, it, it sheds light on the other parts of who he is, the persons of who he is, because all three are essential. You see, the Father sent the Son. The Son obeyed the Father in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit led the Son into obedience and deliverance from death, all accomplishing the perfect plan of the Father. Were you confused? The whole point of that sentence, that statement, is so that at some point in there you realize, I don't necessarily even remember who does what, but I know they all three work together in perfect harmony. And man, that is the point. That is the goal, that we would see God in this way, that we would use our spiritual gifts in such a way that we actually begin to understand the personality of God even more. And then when we do that, and the world doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> will you thank God for all of him today? And I just encourage you to do that. Can you thank God for being father? Can you thank God for being son? Can you thank God for being spirit and thank him that he didn't just have a role to play in our lives 2,000 years ago, but he had a, has a role to play specifically as father, son, and spirit today? Will you address him and all of his persons today? God, thank you for expressing yourself as father, son, and spirit. Help us to reflect you more fully. Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. We got to stop there. I think this is like the crescendo of the whole chapter. This is really the essence of what spiritual gifts are. This answers a very critical question. This answers actually two questions, the what and the why. What are spiritual gifts? It's the given, the manifestation of the spirit. That is what spiritual gifts are. It, that means it's not talent. It's not based on skill. It's not based on kind of your, your, what you even like. Here's the cool thing about God. When you, you become a part of his kingdom and you start operating in Holy Spirit, he's going to release you to do things you didn't even know you could do that you may not even like to do. But you're going to learn that that's how you're wired and how you're made because that's how God made you. I, I promise you, like, I remember being in middle school and saying, I will never, ever, ever work in middle schools, ever. Like, no, can't stand them. And I get into high school, and, and that kind of idea kept, kept just even growing and more solidified. And I was like, in Jesus' name, I'm not working with middle schoolers. And I move here, and middle schoolers are my favorite. Like, God changed my heart. And I realized, man, middle schoolers are so hilarious. They're so goofy. They smell bad. And I love them. <laughs> I just love them. So, man, when you start operating in God's kingdom, he allows you to be released into things you, you swore you would never do. Man, don't ever tell God, I'm never going to, because he'll make you do it. <laughs> Man, that's how God works. It's awesome. But he's given the manifestation of the spirit for what? The common good. We're going to get there. The common good. And it means spiritual gifts aren't just about you. They're not just about you. But that's the, the essence of the what and the why. Why? So the common good can be a reality. That's why we have spiritual gifts. We're going to continue. Verse 8, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Listen to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
This means that spiritual gifts are empowered by God to all believers as he pleases. This is critical. This is a critical point for us to understand. So we understand that the why of spiritual gifts is that the whole can be built up. The whole can become complete. This means that spiritual gifts are not for personal gain. They're not uh, something to help meet our personal agendas. It's actually for the building up and the betterment of the whole church. And then I would argue that if we're building up a better church, then the world will look better as well. So do you understand the power of spiritual gifts when we're operating in the power of the spirit? That, that means everybody around us will become better as a result. And that's, that's powerful. That's significant. That's, that's impactful. It means that God is the power source and he gives them to us. They're empowered by him. Do you, do you, that word empower means to input power into something. Like, like when you're inputting power into something, things have to change. You plug a, a lamp into a socket, it's going to turn on. It's going to light up the room. It's going to make what was dark now light. So when God imparts his power into us, things will change. Stuff has to go. Stuff has to be added in. People will be impacted. And that's beautiful. The spiritual gifts are the empowerment of God to all believers. That means anybody who has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, you have been given a spiritual gift. Yes, you. The one who's sitting there right now, yeah, that's true for everyone in here but me. No, it's you. And chances are, and you got one that we can't live without. Because the kingdom's upside down. The people who you think have the greatest gifts, Paul tells us later on that, man, those gifts are great, but there's gifts that, that are kind of hidden that we need to expose because those gifts make the world a difference. It's an upside down kingdom. You have a gift. We all have gifts. Yes, even those of us who feel like our gifts are not enough, who feel like we're not skilled or talented. See, that's the beauty. It doesn't require you to be talented. I love going back to that thing I shared earlier. Man, man the prep for the day was showing up. You didn't have to bring t tools. You didn't have to bring boots. You, didn't, you just got to show up. And God takes care of the rest. And he gives them out as he pleases. That means it's up to him. That means it's up to him. It's not up to you. It's not up to us. God has specific plans for each one of us, and he has specific plans for us as a body, and so he gives out the gifts as he desires. So that means he has a specific reason and purpose for giving them to you the way he did. So listen to this. I hope this brings sweet challenge to you. If you don't like your gifts, your problem's with God. If you don't like your gifts, your problem's with God. And here's the beautiful thing. Like, you can go to him with that problem. And he will love, lovingly show you the truth. And he'll lovingly reveal to you, man, the gift I've given you is, is special because I'm special. And I have a great plan for you that only this gift can accomplish. But your problem's not with you. Your problem's not with the church. Your problem's not with any other person who has a gift that you think is better. Your problem really lies with God. And so can I encourage you and challenge you to wrestle with God in that? And God loves that wrestling because that's where things happen. That's where life change is found. And when I've wrestled with God to discover my spiritual gifts, man, I've never felt closer. I've never felt closer. He has empowered you. He has hand-selected your gifts because he knows that that is what is best needed for you to make the greatest impact for his kingdom that you possibly can. So how do we know what our gifts are? Well, like we talked about last week, there's, there's inventories you can take, there's tests you can take, and you can talk to your friends. You can kind of say, hey, what do you think like, are some of my gifts? People that you really trust, people that you know love Jesus, and people that you know are connected to God. Like, ask those people. But can I just give you a simple encouragement? Ask the gift giver. Right? Like, that may be like, well, no-brainer, dummy. But, like, can we just be honest for a moment? Sometimes we forget to ask God, hey, what are my gifts? But I, I know for a long time, I just, people said, well, you're this. Oh, cool. I like that. that sounds cool. Well, you're talented at that, boom. But, but what I fail to do is really beg God, ask God, what are my gifts? How can I best be used? It's not, God, what can I do for you? It's, God, what do you want to do through me? Did you notice the difference? One relies on self, the other relies on Savior, relies on Holy Spirit. And can you just ask God, can you ask him, God, show me what you want to do in and through me? You just posture yourself, surrendered, hands open, heart open, Asking God, what do you want to do through me? How do you want to reveal yourself to the world around me? So you have to start at the source. You can't start just at friends or start at your talents. A few years back, uh, I was trying to fix a toilet because I'm a man, uh, and it didn't go so hot. 
And literally, I'm, uh, I'm crying at this point. Like, I'm literally in tears, and I'm sitting in about an inch and a half of water in my bathroom and just frustrated because I'm like, oh, man, I can do this. And no. Okay, so YouTube is my friend, and so is paying a plumber. And, and so, <laughs> but anyway, I, I, what I did not do, uh, finally, once the shock, you know, wore off, like, oh, dang, I'm sitting in an you know, inch of water, is I, st- I didn't start to mop the water up. I didn't just put the lid back on the toilet tank. I didn't just say, well, let me fix all the symptoms. No. I had to go turn the water off. See, when there's an issue or when you want to get a solution, you have to go to the source. Mopping up the water will work for a moment, but it's going to flood back again. Putting the tank back on the top of the toilet, it's going to eventually overflow. So if you want to know where your spiritual gifts are, if you want to know how they operate, you got to go to the source. Like I had to go to the source of that water and turn that water off. You need to go to the source of Holy Spirit and ask him, beg him to reveal to you what your gifts are and how can they make an impact for his kingdom. Holy Spirit, show us the gifts you have apportioned to us so that we can encourage and build up your body as you so desire. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we all were made to drink of one spirit. I love this. We're all one body. There's a beautiful, another analogy that that Paul is painting here that we'll get to. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it not any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would there be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we all were a single member, there would not be any body. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's what spiritual gifts do. They express the diverse unity of God's church. They express the diverse unity of God's church. What we see Paul doing here, he's painting this beautiful picture of a human body. I want you to think about the, the warm body sitting in your seat right now. This is a perfect analogy because we all can, can literally in real time experience it. He's saying we are one body that has many members. And he said the same way that Christ's church is a body is the equivalent to, to kind of how the human body operates. That means it's one unit. Your body is one unit. Sometimes we feel like it's not. Sometimes we feel like our arms are doing things our legs shouldn't be and yada, yada. But yet we are one unit. And it has many parts to it. And check this out. All parts are important. Every part of your body is important. And it works together as one. It works together as one. It has unity in source and unity in purpose. God has arranged the parts of his body the way he did on purpose. In the same way he designed your body for each part of it to work intricately so that you can have a full, healthy life when they're all operating to their fullest potential. That's the way the body of Christ is designed. It was carefully and intentionally crafted. Do you know that? That your body was made that way, yes, but God has creatively, intentionally, carefully, uniquely crafted you to plug into a greater whole, the common good. It's really not just about one of us. It's about all of us coming together. It's about us operating together to show the world that it's not just about one. It's about the one. I want to make this statement. It's better that we're different. It's better that we're diverse. It's not just like, okay, we'll deal with it because that's the way God says it. No, it's actually better. It's actually better that we're different, that we all don't look the same or talk the same or come from different backgrounds or that that we all don't have the same gifts. Because if we all had the same gifts, then we would just start stepping on each other's toes and we would start causing conflicts. But when we realize that our gifts are different and that we're called to work in unity, we, like a body, can actually accomplish a lot. You understand what has to happen just to do simple tasks in your body? Like, it seems like a no-brainer, but just to take some steps. Like, your whole body has to work in unison. Your brain has to send signals to your feet, and, and your feet have to work, but your feet can't work if your legs don't work. You know what I'm saying? All the joints have to work together. All the muscles, the tendons, everything, the things that we don't even realize are there have to work together to accomplish even simple tasks. That is same in the kingdom. That means no one's gift is inferior, including your own. Nobody's gift is inferior. We all need each other's gifts. We all need each other to work together. So let us not be envious of other people's gifts. 
in the name of Jesus, I pray against any, any temptation that we would have right now to be envious of any other gifts. But that you just bring clarity to what gifts we have. Listen to this. Envying another person's spiritual gift is a personal attack on God's creativity. I'll say it again. Envying another person's spiritual gift is a personal attack on the creativity of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be personally attacking God anytime soon. But yet, that is what we do when we begin to envy someone else's gift. Well, I wish I just had what they had. Well, God, I know you gave me this, but it seems like secondary to what this person's doing. What you're saying is, God, your creativity is limited. God, your creativity is not enough. Man, can we just become people who realize that our God is a good, unique, creative God, and that even my gift that seems insignificant in my mind has great impact in the kingdom. And then practically, not only are, are we better being different because he, he has goals for the inferior gifts or what seem like inferior gifts, we can actually have more impact. Do you realize that? We can actually have more impact when all of us work together. If one of us had all of the gifts, we can only be at one place at one time. But if we're all operating in all of the gifts differently as he apportions, as he chooses, because it's up to him, not up to us, not up to our faith or lack thereof, it's up to him. You know what happens is more impact begins to happen. Man, this past Christmas, my beautiful wife got me this new coffee pot. So I've recently become a coffee snob. Like, I'm that guy. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm just that annoying guy that loves coffee. And uh, Andrew Young kind of has, has tainted me a little bit and has just shown me, like, coffee can actually be really good. And, uh, and what I realized is, man, Keurig is all right. Keurig's all right. But mine started to taste kind of funky. I think there was some mold in there. We won't go there. But I, it started to taste kind of weird. It's like, man, I want to get a new coffee pot. And so I was going to get another Keurig. And he's like, bro, you need to buy this. I was like, what is this? And he showed me this picture. I was like, this, literally, this is Starbucks at home. I mean, this is insane. Like, what, what is this? And it's the Ninja Coffee Bar. That's what it's called, the Ninja Coffee Bar. It's like a coffee shop on your counter. Like, that's literally, that should be the tagline. I should get endorsements. But anyways, <laughs> this thing is insane because what it does is, as you can see, it, it can make single cups. It can make bigger cups. It can make a whole pot, a half a pot. It can actually make iced coffee. It has that little frother on the side that twists, like spins the milk up so you can get lattes. Like this is crazy stuff. And what I began to realize, comparable to a Keurig, it's about the same price. It's maybe like 20 bucks more or whatever. But it has far more impact because one machine is doing multiple things. It's one machine, it's got multiple buttons. It's actually kind of complicated. It's crazy. But man, when it operates to its fullest extent, it doesn't just make a single cup of Keurig K-cup coffee, and the opportunities are limitless. Iced coffees, lattes, Americanos. Man, I think this is a good analogy of what the body should look like, the diverse unity, man. Here's the thing, when the frother starts to try to brew the coffee, it doesn't work. If you put the, if you put the grounds in the water container, that's gonna cause a problem. If you try to brew an entire pot in a small cup, it's gonna overflow and make a mess. Do you catch the drift? Each part of the Ninja Coffee Bar has a specific task and when it operates to its fullest potential, it benefits the rest of the machine. And when we operate in our diverse unity as a body and our specific gifts, it benefits the whole. It helps the whole become stronger. It helps bring that full, beautiful cup of coffee to its completion. Can we be more like the Ninja Coffee Bar <laughs> instead of the petty little Keurig? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so can you thank God that you play a part? Can you just thank God today that you play a part? You may not even know what that is yet, but can you just thank him that you play a part? You're up there somewhere. Maybe you're a button. Maybe you're not. Maybe you hold the coffee. Maybe you're the warmer. But man, you're a part of it. And can we start thanking God that other people are too, even if we don't necessarily like them? Can we be real? We don't always like everybody, including other Christians. <gasps> can we say that in church? Yes, we can, okay? But here's the beautiful thing. When I start to realize that, that I'm on the same team with them and that they have unique gifts that I don't have, it actually makes me appreciate them more. It makes me love them more. And dare I even say like them more? Would we be able to thank God and thank other people when we see? Can I just encourage you to encourage other people today? That doesn't require much. Man, I see God moving in your life in this way. Man, I see God giving you this gift. Man, if we can just encourage each other in our gifts, I think the body would grow exponentially. Holy Spirit, thank you for making us a part of your body. 
Help us accomplish far more together than we ever could individually. He continues with the analogy of the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's crazy. That's an upside-down kingdom. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Spiritual gifts help us to be interdependent. Spiritual gifts help us to be interdependent. Do you realize we live in a world that is very independent? Right? We live in a world that says, it's all about me, it's about my stuff, it's about my time, it's about my life. Maybe I'll include my family in that if I'm on a good day, but it's really just about me. It's independence. I don't need you. I can do me. I can do it how I want to do it. When we get in trouble, even then, we want, we want help, but we want help in our own terms. That's how jacked up we are, right? That's how, inter- that's how independence has thwarted us and, 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 and really kind of tainted us. And yet what God calls us to is interdependence. Do you know that? Did you know that you were made to be dependent? It is counterintuitive, counterfleshed, but you were made to be dependent. God made you with needs. God made you to be needy on him and other people. See, there's another part of the Christian culture that says, I just need Jesus. I don't need you. I just need Jesus. I just need a whole lot of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. That's all I need. That's unbiblical. That's unbiblical. I need you. You need me. We need each other. See, here's what independence says. It says, I don't need you, but interdependence says we need each other. Can we be people who humbly say we need each other? See, this should kill our sense of pride and sense of superiority. I love this quote by Tim Keller. This will jack up your view of pride. He says this, pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing it. That's pride. It creeps in, right? Nobody's like, I'm the most prideful person on the planet. No, it subtly and silently creeps its way in like carbon monoxide and leads to your death and you don't even realize it till it's too late. And here's the beautiful thing when we become interdependent on Holy Spirit and on each other, and it puts to death any pride, any superiority that we have. The weaker get more honor. It's an upside down kingdom. This tears down division and divisiveness because the reality is, right, we're still going to have conflict. What I'm not saying is that, man, if we start operating in our spiritual gifts, all people are going to work out. And it's going to be sunshines and rainbows and happiness all the time. No. But if we are operating in the power of Holy Spirit, conflict can happen. We believe in authentic resolution that can happen here. The peacemakers pledge. We believe that can happen because we've seen it, we've tasted it, and we want more. It's a foundational part of who we are is grace. Peacemaking people. We care for one another and we help meet each other's needs. There's a slogan that was kind of coined by the book, The Three Musketeers, all for one and one for all. All for one and one for all. That is kind of the heartbeat that we see here that he gives us. He says that if if one suffer, we all suffer. If one is encouraged, we all rejoice. Holy Spirit helps us to be dependent on each other. It helps us to stay loyal through thick and thin. Are you dependent on other people's gifts? Like truly, are you dependent on other people's gifts. Do you realize that, that you don't have them all? Do you realize that you need help, that God needs to use other people to stretch you and to challenge you and to shape you and to mold you, to make you who he's called you to be? Can I encourage you this week to humble yourself before God and before other people and confess your need for them? Hey, hey, I need you in my life. I need your, your prayer life. I, I encourage our, our uh, 18 to 25-year-olds this week. I said, surround yourself with people that run spiritual circles around you. Here's what I mean by that. Surround yourself with people, maybe just three people who are farther along in their spiritual gift than you are. And they're like some crazy prayer warriors that just don't stop praying. Like get around them, say, I want some of that. And don't let that discourage you, but let that build you up. Let that encourage you. Surround yourself with people who are operating in their gifts more fully than you currently are. And man, I promise you're gonna see a desire grow. Holy Spirit, help us to depend on each other, care for one another and encourage each other to use our gifts for the glory of God. Said, which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that they may be that there may be no division in the body, but that the member may say 
sorry, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's continue verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, then the gifts of healing, then helping, administration, and the various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles? I love this. this is, these are rhetorical questions. So the answer to all these questions is absolutely not. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. That's why we need each other. That's why there's interdependence. Paul's trying to help us see that. That one of us is not capable of doing all, but we're all capable of doing them all together as one. He challenges us in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Spiritual gifts require our desire. Spiritual gifts require our desire. Paul reiterates, we are the body and we are members of it. So we are a corporate body and we have an individual part to play. We all need these gifts in the church, the gifts he lists off. We need them in the church. We're not going to dive deeply into those. But we have a packet that we handed out last week, and I encourage you to do some own personal study on the gifts specifically. We're going to talk about that later in the series a little bit. But all gifts are needed, all are required. We need them to all be operating in their fullest potential. But not everyone has the same gifts, and not everyone does them all. That's critical for us to understand. But Paul is saying, Jesus is saying to us, that we must earnestly desire these gifts. Do you understand that part of what unlocks the gifts is the desire of them? Part of what unlocks the gifts is the desire of them. Now, let me be very careful here. What I'm not saying is that it depends on you. But what I am saying is the way God desires to give us our gifts is us asking for them. We should never expect God to give us something not praying that he promised to give us through praying. Does that make sense? We should never ask God to give us something without asking him for it that he's promised to only give us if we ask him for it. We must ask him. We must earnestly desire the higher gifts Here's what that word earnestly desire means in Greek. It's pronounced zelo. It's the same word that we get zeal or zealous or jealousy from. To be or become marked by active interest, passion, and enthusiasm for something often caused by faith. Here's in essence what that means. Earnestly desiring gifts leads to action. Desire leads to an action. Desire leads to a pursuit of something. When we earnestly desire something, it leads to us asking for it. It leads to us walking in it. So here's what earnestly desiring is not, asking God one time. So if we just go home, God, please give me my spiritual gift, that would be awesome. That way I could be a part of the copy machine and it would be great. And then we peace out and we move on. No, earnestly desiring is going back and back and back and, God, and, and really not moving until God reveals to us our gifts. He says, ask, seek, and knock. It's not just one of the three, it's all three. It's asking him, it's going, it's seeking, and then it's actually knocking. It's active participation on our part. This is the practical application, church, the desire. Do we desire spiritual gifts? Do we desire to see God manifest himself in us individually and corporately in ways that we've never seen? Because if we're not desiring it, chances are it's not going to happen. But man, if we desire this, if we earnestly beg and pray God and seek him, and he would love to empower us with his presence. But here's what we see happen. We see that, that spiritual gifts are good and great, but there's something even better. You see, God gives us spiritual gifts to empower us to bring, build, and sin, but here's the reality. If we have all those things and we don't have something else, we're missing it. Do you see what he said at the end of verse 31? And I will show you a still more excellent way. He's saying, desire these gifts, get these gifts, let God manifest in them, them in you, but there's something still greater. What is the greater? Well, here's something important to know about the Bible. It's not written in chapters. It's not written with verses. We added those in. So this was a literal letter that Paul had written to the Corinthian church. So his thoughts didn't stop at verse 31. So in order to fully understand what he's communicating by this excellent way, we have to go to chapter 13. If you've been around the church long enough, you know chapter 13 is what's called the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. He describes love. 
But listen to what he says in verses one through three. This is of chapter 13. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Verse three, if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you see the power of those verses? Paul is saying you could even have every gift you ever desired. You could have every gift on that list, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. Let me, let me show you the text in real time. Context clues, some loud noise is about to happen. If you have all the spiritual gifts, you're able to speak in tongues of men and tongues of angels, but you have not love, this is your life. And then you start to go do something else. Let me prophesy about you. Let me read the Bible. That's your life. Is that annoying? Is that annoying anybody? It's annoying me. I'm pretty close to it. You see what that illustrates? You could have all the right intentions. You could have all the right head knowledge. You could have all the right heart knowledge. But if you're not walking in love, you can't hear straight. The world around you is going to be distracted. You become unappealing. And can I just even say it downright annoying? We become irrelevant and annoying when we operate in our spiritual gifts outside of love. So what is the way of love? Man, Paul doesn't leave us hanging in those three verses. He begins to lay out love is patient, love is kind. I encourage you to go and read that. But but man, love is this. Love is the key. Love is the key that unlocks the spiritual gifts. Love is the key that actually gets us connected with God. And the love is the person of Jesus Christ. Love is, is not... A concept, love is not a feeling, love is not emotion, love is a person. Love is Jesus. This is the love that even back in the beginning agreed to the Father's plan, willingly submitted to it. It's the the love that motivated the prophecy in Genesis 3 of the crushing of the head and the bruising of the heel. It's, It's the love that was foreshadowed in the person of David as the king. It's the love that even while there was a curtain torn, God still made a a way for us to be connected. It's the love that, that manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The word became flesh. I mean, it's that love that led him to live a life that is beyond our wildest dreams, to, to perform miracles, to walk on water, to tell dead people to wake up and come alive, to tell blind people to start seeing again. And it's the love that rallied a group of 12 dudes who had no clue what the heck they were doing and allowed them to be game changers and world changers. He even took the most annoying one, Peter, and made him the leader of the church. And it's that same love that went to the cross, gladly, willingly, not as a victim, but as a victor, as a volunteer, who was nailed to a cross, arms spread open, screaming, I love you in the midst of silence. Every drop of blood that was shed was love calling after you. It wasn't a loud, annoying gong. It was the whispers of our king. It was a love that allowed our king to be murdered. And it was a love that rose him from the grave. And it was a love that gave him the ability to give us access back to the Father. That is the pathway of love. And if we believe that, if we have surrendered our lives to that reality, then we can walk in the way of love as well. God gives us spiritual gifts to empower us to bring, build, and send and to walk in the ways of love. We're gonna move into a time where we begin to just ask God to give us the gifts. More importantly, we're just gonna ask God to give us more of himself. This song that we're gonna sing is just declaring, I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul. I just want more, I want more. That's really the cry of our hearts because here's the thing, God wants to give us more. We, We don't need to be content where we're at. God wants to give us more. So let us take this time to earnestly seek God and ask him to give us more of himself. Beg him to create diverse unity and interdependence among us. Ask him to manifest himself in us and through us, the spiritual gifts for the common good. Pray that he would overwhelm us with his crazy love, the love of the strong 
foreman. The sounds of the drills and hammers fill the air. The construction site is alive and bustling. It looks like controlled chaos, but progress is being made. And no wonder, or no matter what is going on, one thing is for sure, no one is working harder than the foreman. He moves from worker to worker, from place to place, from craft to craft, guiding and helping his team. Progress is hard to define here. Some of it's obvious, but a lot of it takes closer inspection. No matter the work, it seems as though those who enjoy working with the foreman and therefore less occupied with matters of progress are in fact the ones making the most progress. It is in the heat of the day when the foreman's plan makes the most sense to them. They see the beauty of each other's roles and each other's tasks. They depend on each other. A bond develops between the workers. Everything seems to point back to the foreman and his blueprint, but it's not always easy. See the carpenter and the pipe fitter begin to quarrel, but the foreman brought them resolution. The electrician electrocuted himself, but the foreman gathered help to dress his wounds. Some were lazy, some doubted their own strength, but nothing surprised the foreman. In fact, he used every opportunity, every hiccup as a way to move forward. A missing tool would offer a moment for another worker to help, a broken arm, an opportunity for the foreman to have a crucial conversation. And in this way, each moment creates a particular piece of the mansion, each brick tells a story. And it's not just those working that share in the beauty of the work. Those who live nearby are drawn toward the sound of this job site. There's beauty in its work and the world has never seen it. And yet so many are drawn towards it. They admire the way of the workers work together. They notice the vast array of workers, how different they are. How on earth could they do it? Authority is different. Conflict is different. Success and failure, all of it handled differently. The job site continues to expand until it impacts every corner of the community. No one is disqualified to work here, and many are invited to enjoy the mansion as soon as they'd like, to rest there, to find peace there, to heal there. And yet, even as some rest, the work never stops. New shifts arrive, and the foreman continues his work. And when any worker is asked, what do you do and why do you do it? They all seem to reply the same way. My job is to do the task given to me with the tools I've been given. I do it because I could not imagine working with anyone else other than our foreman, our master builder. I do it because he shows me the beauty of every nail, every wire, every worker. I do it because he invited me to do it with him. He doesn't need me, but he wants me. I will work on this house until the master calls me home, until my work here is done. Let's pray. God, I ask for you to have your way in this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead us to a place of dependence, lead us to a place of surrender, lead us to a place of desire. God, I pray that we would cry out to you right now. I pray against any temptations or distractions that would keep us from seeing you in this moment, from experiencing you here. God, I pray that you would move mightily. I pray that you would lead to conviction. I pray that you would lead to repentance. I pray that you would lead to clarity on what the gifts are in our lives. God, I pray that you would make us one as you Father, the Son, and the Spirit of one. God, let us go after you right now. Move in this moment, Jesus. Have your way. And all people said, amen. Let's stand and let's worship together, church. Let's desire the gifts of Holy Spirit. <laughs>